Hello and welcome to the Welsh Rugby Podcast. Just a massive thank you before we start to wherever you are listening to this. Just a word of warning, we do this podcast three times a week, but we're not always sure which day it's going to be on. So the only way to keep your finger on the pulse and listen to the latest episode is to subscribe, get notifications. Why not drop us a review while you're there? Right, enough of that. Let's talk some rugby. I'm Ben James. I'm joined by Andy Howell today. Uh, how you doing, Andy? Good morning. Yeah, I'm doing fine. Thanks, Ben. I had a slight lie-in this morning. What time did you get up? Uh, um, well, I was supposed to start my shift at uh, 4 o'clock, so I think I got up at 3.59. Thanks for asking. So you were a bit late getting up, you? Well, why did you talk just, us through it, Ben? Just a little bit late. Um, yeah, the, uh, two, two phones, two alarm clocks, neither one went up. So uh, thankfully, our colleague John Dole happened to ring me at a minute before I was meant to start my shift. Um, and then I heard, I heard that you... Uh, uh, Travelled the uh, mile and a half, um, showed the speed of Usain Bolt doing your mile and a half journey into the office, and people thought you'd run in, but then it turns out you got an Uber. Yeah, got an Uber. So uh, as soon as I, as soon as I put the phone down from Dolly, uh, booked an Uber, got dressed, got washed, and uh, was in by fourteen minutes past four. So that, that's not bad going. That's fantastic. Um, that is really good. I must say. Yeah. Wonders of the modern world. Exactly. Uber. And it's it's all it's all lost to sort of everyone else who, who who just sort of wanders into work at nine o'clock today and they don't know the sort of <laughs> the full story of what I've been through but um, the reason I had to do all that was because Wales were naming their team to face uh, Uruguay the second 4am start of the week and uh, the second team announcement of the week um, last pool game and they've made quite a few changes for it haven't they yeah as we expected wasn't it wasn't it uh, mass changes just having to keep um, a few players who played um or a couple of players who played against um, uh, Fiji. So Josh Adams is still in the side on a one wing as we covered from the dead leg he had. And um, Adley Parks is at the centre. Uh, of course, Jonathan Davis was ruled out of this game after uh, taking a uh, bump to the, a uh, worrying bump to the knee. But there's mass changes. Um, Ryan Elias starting at hooker rather than uh, Elliot D, which suggests they're trying to give Elias a game time because D's been coming off the bench in the other matches. Uh, what's interesting to me is um, Aaron Wainwright is actually playing at number eight, uh, somewhere we haven't seen him before. Um, be interesting because he's got a lot of gas, he's got power, and he's got footwork. You know, can he do a job off the bench, which could actually result in him winning number eight in the quarterfinal with uh, with um, with France, with Nip, uh, perhaps Josh Navidi playing number six? Is it? Are we looking at this now as a case between Navidi? And Tipperich, who captains Wales for the first time in this match, being on the flanks against um, France and uh, a shootout between uh, Wainwright and Moriarty for the other to join him. Yeah, yeah, indeed. You know, we, we would have thought that Moriarty would have uh, got a chance to start this game, wouldn't we? So uh, the fact that he's not, um, not really sure what to make of that. Um, Does that mean that the, perhaps the, uh, they've looked at this? looked at Moriarty against Fiji and now they want, they're still perhaps not completely satisfied and are looking for a third option as an eight because they already know what Navidi can do and giving that opportunity to uh, Wainwright it could it could well be that yeah yeah definitely um, no one's you wouldn't say that anyone's really nailed down that number eight jersey yet would you I think Navidi looked good first two games and I'd still be inclined to go back to him for the uh for the quarterfinals, uh, when it comes to the crunch, um, Ross Moriarty looked good in patches. I thought against Fiji, uh, made one big searing break 
fell off a few tackles, but you you can sort of forgive that against the Fijians because they they do a very good job of t- t- they they turned Wales's sort of fifteen man defence into defending as individuals, which is what Australia did. Um, which is on a separate on a tangent why I don't think there's as much to worry about this Wales defence as maybe we, we thought in the previous podcasts. Um, but now we're going to see Aaron Wainwright at eight. Um, yeah, it'd be interesting because it's it's funny because Warren Gatland's spoken about he wants to see more ball carrying from Wainwright. He's happy with everything else he's doing around the pitch, his, uh, his work rate, his tackling, how, how many rucks he's hitting, counter-rucking, just his, just all, all-round engine. Uh, what he wants to see is ball carrying and, well, he's going to have to be forced to do more ball carrying in that back row because obviously Tip- Tipperick is going to get involved in the wider channels. Um, Shingler's a dynamic ball carrier, but he's not a, he's not a physic- physical ball carrier by any means. So uh, it's going to be up to Wainwright to, to do a lot of... Um, Heavy lifting, isn't it? Yes, it certainly is, and perhaps I'll, you know that perhaps I'll be part of the plan to encourage him to do that, uh, to carry the ball, to show what he can do. Because yeah, as you just said, Shingler is, is uh, he's a bit of an upright ball carrier. Uh, at times, can get knocked uh, backwards. We know Tipperidge's skills are wide channel passing, footballing, etc., beating people with his footwork. Um, so you, you know, if you look at the rest of that pack. Bradley Davis can carry the ball. Dylan Lewis can carry uh, Elias can actually carry the ball but um, you know the back five of the pack is not really I don't know a specialist ball carrier and perhaps, uh, but perhaps we'll see this with Wainwright as a number eight he can he can do that job yeah although we haven't seen much of George North in this tournament he's always a good sort of something to fall back on you know if you haven't got big ball carriers in, 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 your, in your forwards like Wales haven't Having someone like George North popping around the fringes of rucks and um, picking and going it is something that's that's always useful. But we haven't got him. We have got Hadley Parks, who I suppose is a sort of game line merchant for Wales. Um, yeah, Parks does that job. For he Wales, does does he? very he well. Does yeah, it really effectively. Um, you know, Parks is a player who's getting the best out of his ability. Uh, it's a shame North is not involved in this game. But uh, you know, Wales is saying he's got an ankle injury. He was feeling a leg against. Um, uh, Fiji in the second half it did, at the time didn't peel those uh, an ankle but they say he's got a bit of an ankle problem so they're resting him of course they, uh, they will want him to be fit <coughs> against uh, for the French so they're not uh, taking any uh, any chances with him same with Jonathan Davis with our knee injury um, obviously I don't think he would have been fit for this game anyway so um, you know they wait and I say they're waiting on him he's working intensively on his knee regular icing etc to try and be fit for that quarter final I don't think that's a given so this is a big opportunity when I say it's a big opportunity this is a ch- yeah a chance for Owen Watkins to show his ways from the off in a game because when you look at his record for Wales he hasn't started many matches you know he's generally comes off the bench and he's done very well off the bench I thought he was excellent against Fiji uh, again he's got that trademark ripping the ball out of its opponent's hands and uh, you know he looks sharp as well so it'd be interesting to see what he can do with the ball himself and the partnership with Parks uh, in case the pair of them end up playing to get alongside each other in that quarter final so I, I, I've been impressed with Owen Watkin I think he's got a big future and uh, I'm going to be really interested in seeing how he does in this game and then looking elsewhere in the back line obviously Reese Patchell starts at 10 but um, fly half is a bit of a problem position I suppose um, no damn bigger Uh after his knock on the head against Fiji, and you can't imagine they'd want to keep Reese Patchell on the pitch all that long because 
the last thing they want is two fly halves injured. Um, yeah, but what's their what's their option when you look at the bench? Well, that's the you've question. Got, you've got two scrum half, the back cover or the specialist back cover. So it's two scrum halves in Thomas Williams and Gareth Davis. Both of those could play on the wing if necessary. Could that Gareth Davis play at outside half? Um, you know, James Davis is covering uh, the, the, probably the wide positions wing from the bench. There's another option on the bench, but outside half, and there's been talk of um, Alan must have been running him in training. And half Benny could play probably play outside half as well. He's definitely sort yeah. of there. He always steps in the first receiver for Wales. Yeah. So, so they, there's those options. Yeah, with Patchell, probably they they want to give him a, give him an hour, but maybe. Do they wrap him up in Cottonwell then? What's the situation with Bigger? Um, so, you know, what would be interesting in this game is, and lo and behold, this doesn't happen, but what if something did happen if Patrick was forced off early on? You know, where would Wales be then? What would they do? You know, who would you stick in there, Ben? I think if Patchell went off early on, they'd put Parks at 10. Um would they put, would they put Amos into the centre then? He's played a little bit for the Dragons. Personally, I like to see Amos play centre a lot at regional level. Yeah, you'd, could, yeah, you'd put Owen, Owen Watkin would go to 12 and Hallam Amos would go to uh, 13. And then you're looking at one of the two scrum halves or on even James Davis on going going on the wing. Um, but then I, they, they also want to wrap Hadley Parks up in, in Cottonwood to a sense. I, I don't think you want to see Hadley Parks playing the full 80 considering what, what you know his, his hand. Um which is why I think if you get later on in the game, I think if you are going to take Patchell off, then it'd be Halfpenny or Amos going to 10 yeah. rather than Parks. But um, yeah, if it, if it's early, I think Parks will go to 10, which... Is there a danger there at your though, Ben, that you and I are getting a bit carried away this game's going to be a formality for Wales? Or about Fiji turn up and play as they did against Uruguay? Other way around there. What if Uruguay uh, turn sorry, up and did against Fiji? they did against Fiji. <laughs> I mean, if Fiji had turned up and played like they did against Uruguay, uh, Wednesday <laughs> yeah. would have been a lot, a lot, a lot <laughs> less stressful. Yeah. Um, so say you yeah, yeah, say Uruguay at their best in this game. I think I I still think that backline is that starting fifteen to me has got. It's still a very strong starting fifteen, so I think it's got enough. Um, yeah, and I think if and only if Wales build up a. Well, if they get if they get the bonus point early, because if they get the bonus point early, then unless Fiji managed to pull away, Uruguay, Uruguay, oh, you're making me doing that. Oh, if, uh, if, if Uruguay managed to pull away for like a, a more than seven point victory, that's the only way then that Wales cannot finish top. It, yeah. So, as soon as they get the bonus point, I think then they'll start to make changes, but only then. Well, if Wales get a bonus point for scoring four tries, surely they're not going to lose this game. No, exactly. You wouldn't expect you were going to score more tries than that, no. would you? So, you know, I, I think whatever the... If Wales were to lose this game, I still think they would get the uh, two points they need to top the group. Exactly. Whatever. <laughs> but, you know, I expect... But I think, you know, it's... Uh, it's the end of the tournament for Uruguay. Obviously, they'll be right up for it and all, but it's you know it's a war of attrition, isn't it? The Rugby World Cup, so it'll be probably difficult for them to repeat their, their performance of, uh, against um, Fiji. Yeah, um, I mean, obviously they beat Fiji, and then they they started well against Australia, didn't they? But I don't think Australia helped themselves with mm. well the, in discipline in the first half. Yeah, that that's the only danger I can see for Wales. You know, if, if Wales sort of play into Uruguay's hands or are complacent and not on their game, and get off of them an olive branch. Yeah, I, th- I think the fact that Wales are coming off a four day turnaround 
and the fact they'll want to start quick means that they probably will. Um, they didn't against Fiji, but that was off the back of a 10-day turnaround. But you look at their first two games of the tournament, Georgia and Australia, and they came out the blocks both times and didn't quite have the games won at half-time, but mm-hmm. had yeah. largely done a lot of the legwork, and I'd expect that to be the same again uh, this time round. If Lee Halfpenny has a really good game with his general play, okay, not, yep. not his goal kicking, can he force his way into the starting lineup against France? Not for me. Um, which is, you know, no, no indication of, of Lee Halfpenny as a player. Yeah, because I think he's, I think he's world class at what he does. Uh, his defensive reading of the game in the backfield, you know, he, he is genuinely world class. Um, but I think Wales are in a nice position where they are with Liam Williams at fullback. He's made that position his own. Uh, same with the wings. I, you know, I don't like the idea of moving Liam Williams to the wing now, um, and I'd stick with Josh Adams and George North. Uh, they're our best three strike runners, and if Wales are going to win the World Cup or, or go far, then they're going to have to do that by playing a, a wide sort of coast to coast game that, that gets those three strike runners into the game. So I wouldn't necessarily drop one of them for the safety first approach. Um, but what's hard on Halfpenny is then that if he can't make the start in 15, but then he probably can't make the, the 23 either because as your outside backs replacement, Owen Watkin is, is the sort of go-to man because of what he does off the bench in terms of, as you've mentioned, you know, ripping the ball and just providing a nice defensive stability for the last 20 minutes. Mm. With George North, our comment section on Wales Online, he had a lot of flack after the match with uh, Fiji. A lot of people no longer see him as indispensable to the Wales team do you think you know Gatlin though still sees him as a vital player who would pick him whatever I wouldn't say he's indispensable and I wouldn't say Gatlin would pick him whatever but I think Warren Gatlin still knows what he can do um, and for whatever reason we haven't seen him do much of that at this tournament I think against Georgia we saw a lot of the traffic go down Josh Adams's channel because they'd highlighted a, a weakness in the Georgia defence so Josh Adams got a lot of ball out of that um, again it, that happened against Fiji where everything seemed to go down Josh Adams' wing and I think George North had three touches did he? Yeah, um, these things happen doesn't it don't they because in the warm-up matches Josh Adams didn't see a lot of the ball yeah exactly it just so happens that you seem to sort of target one wing more than the other and at the minute that's Josh Adams against, against Australia I think actually it went the other way I think George North had a fair bit more ball or he had considerably more ball what I would say at this point is that for me if you're always going to go left to Josh Adams as George North the right winger well you should then be thinking right well I work ac- I, I, I have to work across the field here and and give the 10 or the 9 an option which is why he, when he first came on the scene with, uh, with Wales against South Africa, that's yeah. what happened. And I think his two tries came from exactly yeah. in the middle. You, you know, know, you should be the look. At, you know, mm-hmm. you, should, you should be a first receiver for a nine, or you should be the inside ball for a ten. You know, just to keep the defence honest and just to keep to keep the defence working across the pitch, which then opens up space for Josh Adams. But I, I he, think he, he did it a bit. Yeah. But I, I mean, his first his first proper carry came fifty seven minutes in against Fiji. Yeah which was taking it up into midfield. Um, I think Shane Williams is it, it, the nail on the head 
with George North. Shane said when he was playing, he used to like, what was it? Five, get five, whatever, or X number of touches in the first five, ten minutes. And about, uh, you know, George needs to go looking for the ball and take it on board because Gatlin has has repeatedly stated over the years that George has got a license to roam and they want him to have more touches on a ball and they're not against him going looking for the ball. I think think he's more dangerous as as a lot of the Wales back three players are, I think he's more dangerous in and around the fringes of the rucks. You know, we, we saw, um, I think it was Ken Owens who tried uh, Twickenham in the England warm-up. That came from George North yeah. picking and going. We've seen what he can do in and around, you know, because he's a big guy and he's powerful, but he has got a step on him. So if there is a, you know, a, a loose head prop or a tight head prop standing at guard, if George North takes that ball, you know, a couple of metres outside of a ruck, He's got the physical strength to, you know, maybe and the footwork to push him off, but he can also step him, yeah. and that's what we need to start seeing a bit more from him. Um, it just feels like he's falling into that trap of waiting on the wing for things to come to him, and while that seems to be working for Josh Adams to an extent, because things are coming that way, because maybe Wales just have a so naturally like go going that way more. I don't know. Is that is that a case of? I think it's one of those things. Actually, it's generally generally it's normally easier to bring a right wing into a, into a match than a left wing, it's particularly from scrums. Depending where the scrums are yeah. on the pitch, if the scrum is to the right hand side of the pitch, it's because the defending scrum half is following the scrum half is putting the ball in. Generally, that scrum half, unless he drops off, is out of, almost out of the game. Yeah. So if your number eight picks up and you just scrum half and maybe bring a fullback in, you can generally put the number. Uh, if everyone does their job properly, maybe put the fourteen away. So I think it's just one of those things that uh, it hasn't gone for him. I mean, we've talked to you about the half penny. Perhaps you know what's the possibility of him playing against France? But what about if Alan Amos that he does what the stuff we just talked about, George North? perhaps should be doing which Amos does go looking for work does Rome as a footballer what about if he does that in this game and has a big game would he have any hope of getting in has he got the pace to play against the real top teams I mean he was found out a bit in New Zealand in 2016 yeah that's that's a long time ago isn't it and um, what do you think he's got quicker in Australia <laughs> no 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 <laughs> but he might have got wiser um, oh, he's a good player. F- for me he's always Hallam Amos has always been someone who's never let Wales down when he's played for them. And he's always looked a bit like how Josh Adams has. He's, he's just looked someone who, who just looks comfortable at, at test level. Um, but the problem is with Hal is it's just we've never seen that on a consistent basis. You know, he, uh, was it two years ago he came in for the autumn and he scored? Well, he didn't score against South Africa, but he set up Hadley Parks' tries. Um, yeah, wasn't he involved in that try as well against New yeah, Zealand? Yeah, and he cut a line for Scott Williams' try against New Zealand. He just looked really threatening. and He, he, he ran good lines. He, he was just intelligent, held his width when he had to. Uh, always seems to find an offload um, for another Scott Williams try, I think, he, against Australia the year before when Wales took a battering in defence. He was the sort of the catalyst for them turning things around towards the end. And he played well in Argentina. He did. He looked in really. 2019. Yeah, he played the match against South Africa as well in Washington, did he? Yeah, yeah he looked really, like really accomplished against yeah. Argentina. He, really slick hands. But um, his problem is in, being injuries. Yeah, injuries and consistency. And um, I don't, I don't, I just don't see Wales making personnel changes at this stage of the no. World Cup. I think the one thing Wales are is really settled in uh, what they're doing. And, um, you know, they've. I think they named they made they made two well 
the bar in this match, they've made two changes throughout the whole of the tournament. They, they named unchanged teams for the first two games and then they made two changes for Fiji. And you look at how Wales have sort of operated on the last 18 months and it's been largely largely that um, injuries dictating. So I, I don't see any major changes coming. Adam Beard, heavily involved in the Six Nations Grand Slam. He's missed the start of this tournament for appendicitis and his appendix out. He's, uh, he's back over there now, plays his first game of the tournament. Big game for him. Could he oust Jake Ball for the match with France? Could he come back in? Or do you think Jake Ball has done enough already to fend him off? I think Jake Ball's done enough, but um, he'd certainly, you'd think, book himself a, a bench place, which is perhaps a tad unfortunate on Aaron Shingler because you know Aaron Shingler sort of, through no fault of his own, had to sort of cover second row. And while that's given him regular minutes, it's probably, well, it has hurt his back row chances. So, um, you know, he's starting at the back row tomorrow and he'll have to go sort of, as he realistically they'll got a back row chance for the big game. But I'm saying he'll have to go mm. gung he'll have to go gung ho to really sort of show that he has mm. got that chance because he's he's been hindered so far in the tournament. So that's that's an interesting dynamic to tomorrow as well. But yeah, I think Adam Beard will probably come back onto the bench. Um I I'll be honest, I haven't really seen how how well the French line out has operated, but I think Wales have Wales have dealt fairly well with line out ball this tournament, so um there's no there's no pressing urge to get Adam Beard's sort of telescopic arms back in the mix. And your fans will test your mind with that driving mall. They will, yeah. yeah. Um, you know, but discipline's the key against the French because you don't want to give them penalties where they can kick to the corners and then use that weapon. That's, uh, that's, it, that's if we play the French. What do you mean if we play the French? Well... If well, we uh, explain, if we lose, we could play uh, England. What, what, you know, oh, Ben, I cannot <laughs> believe you know, you know, you're not that um, pessimist. I'm joking. No, we'll, uh, it'll be the French. In, um, I'm not sure where the city is playing, but I tell you, who would know? Um, Simon Thomas would know. He would, but also Matthew Southcombe because he's uh, out in Japan. Our man out in Japan, and I tell you what, we'll uh, we'll hear from him now. And then we've also got coming up Alex Spink from the Daily Mirror to talk about uh, this typhoon that's going to hit Japan. Um, so yeah, first Matthew and then uh, Alex Spick. I'm Sam Warburton and you're listening to the Welsh Rugby Podcast. Okay, so now joined by Matt Southcombe out in Japan. Uh, Matt, it's a, a busy week for you. It's another Wales team announcement, uh, just days after the Fiji game. Yeah, it's been uh, it's been a busy couple of days, obviously, as, as you just discussed. We've had a short turnaround. Um, feels like we're seeing Warren Gatlin every other day at the moment, and we uh, pretty much are, uh, to be fair. Um, so, yeah, he's just named his team now to face Uruguay on Sunday. Um, they're trying to deal with a quick turnaround as well as the journalists, more importantly. And, um, yeah, he's made a lot of changes. Exactly. He has uh, 13 changes in all. Um, and some quite interesting ones, uh, particularly in the back line. Yeah, it's very interesting. You know, they've got to manage a lot of injuries that they picked up in that Fiji game. Um, it's not an easy period. That was such a physical game. A lot of players left it um, carrying bumps, bruises and knocks and, and some things a little more serious as well. You know, So uh, Dan Bigger, who was never really going to play in this game, um, Gatlin has already spoken today about how the fact they were all, always going to go into this game with only one fly half. And, and Bigger was obviously ruled out by that head knock he suffered against Fiji. 
Uh, what we didn't know as well is that George North was carrying an ankle injury into that Fiji game um, and he played through the pain in that one so he wasn't in consideration for this just, so, just purely to rest him and get that ankle sorted and obviously we know all about Jonathan Davis as well we've got that concern over him and his knee um, so those those are the sorts of things Warren Gatman has had to manage this weekend and as such like you said he's picked a, a pretty interesting backline. Exactly obviously you've got Josh Adams and Hadley Parks named in the starting backline but both of them have been carrying injuries over the last few days um, and there's not a great deal of cover is there on the bench yeah there's not and uh, you know in an ideal world uh, Josh Adams wouldn't have played in this game Warren Gatlin admitted they wanted to rest him but injuries elsewhere and the situation has dictated that they, they had to get him to go again and you know Hadley Parks himself is carrying that, that fractured bone in his hand so you know they've been having to manage him quite a lot recently and you look at the bench and as you said you know there's not a, a great deal of option there and we know James Davis has played out, out in the white channels for the Scarlets in an emergency and his sevens background means that he can do that um, and Gareth Davis also played on the wing for the final few minutes against Fiji and Warren Gatlin has also floated the idea though I, I think we may come on to it of, of one of the scrum halves playing at fly half and you know that's a really interesting little dilemma as well so you know whilst it may appear that there isn't a great deal of options on the bench I think the hope is that Wales can get this game put to bed with their first 15 and then it's purely a case of making up the numbers uh, for the final sort of I don't know quarter or maybe even the second half That's interesting you touched upon that because that's where I was going to head next is a sort of fly half cover obviously no damn bigger in the squad Reese Patchell will start Callum Amos, Hadley Parks have been mentioned. Funny enough, Liam Williams have been mentioned pre-tournament as fly half cover, but he's not involved. Um, I suppose Lee Halfpenny's there, but as you say, a scrum half has also been uh, knocked about. Um, any idea who the nine who could uh, potentially play ten is? Well, Warren Gallon's been playing his cards very close to his chest on this one. Um, to be honest with you, if there was an emergency... I- my instinct says that Hadley Parks would be the man who, who fills that role, having done it for the Scarlets. Now, he'll have a great deal of success there for the Scarlets, but at least he has experience there. Now, Hallam Amos is another player who's been mooted as, as a potential cover option there. Um, hasn't played there since his schoolboy days, um, but, you know, an intelligent rugby player, um, has found his voice and has got a lot of experience in recent years as well, so he'd probably not be a bad option at fly half. He's been running there in training as well, as Gatlin said, after the Fiji game. So, you know, it, although the, the scrum halves have been mentioned, uh, I kind of get the impression that that's just possibly to, to throw us off the scent a little bit. I'm not entirely convinced that, that there is a, a fly half option amongst those scrum halves. Um, so I would be more inclined to look towards somebody like Hadley Parks or Hallam Amos as, as the cover for Rhys Patchell. And uh, Warren Gatland also jokingly mentioned uh, Justin Tiprick as a, as a fly half option. Uh, before sort of suggesting that he could do a job out wide. Uh, I know that's music to the ears of our colleague uh, Andy Howell, who's been uh, banging that drum for God knows how many years. Um, he's, he's not a serious option, is he, to, to, to fill in maybe at centre? Well, uh, you joke about it, but, you know, he's, we know he's got the talent to play in, in, the, in the wider channels. And, you know, it, popping up in the wide channels every so often and actually playing at inside centre from set plays or, you know, from line-outs and from scrums, those are two totally different things. So, you know, we've, we've got to, you know, we, we are in danger of, of assuming that um, a little too much of, of certain players at this point. But, you know, it, like I said, if Wales get out and score a bonus point try in the 30th minute, for example, then nothing will be off the table. You know, there, there could be a really strange-looking Welsh side for the final sort of, well, the second half, you know. 
there are players in that side who Gatland does want to protect as much as he can and, and you'd suggest that those are probably the likes of Josh Adams and Hadley Parks and maybe even Batchel because if Batchel gets an injury then you know Wales have got a real issue of fly off so you know they, they, Wales are hoping to put this game to bed early on and then they will make changes that may give the side a very unfamiliar look and you know if that's the case then maybe Justin Tippering might pop up in the back line you know all joking aside he's, he's clearly got the talent to play in those positions but you know first and foremost Wales have got to get the job done before we start talking about playing flankers in the backs and, and all that sort of thing. If you look at the pack, there's not really too many surprises there. Aaron Wainwright starts at eight, which I suppose is quite interesting. But uh, on the bench, we do see the first glimpse of Wynne Jones covering the tight head prop, don't we? Yeah, we do. Uh, though I would suggest that, you know, it, it's probably going to be a case of uh, Dylan Lewis playing as much as he can. Um, I, in an ideal world, I don't think Wynne Jones will come onto the field. Um, he's had a very heavy workload so far in this tournament. Um, he's been one of, bit, one of Wales's best performers on the loose head. Um, and, I, and I don't think Warren Gatlin will, will throw him on and give him too much game time because, like I said, he's had to play a lot of rugby so far in this tournament, maybe even more than, than we thought before the tournament started. You know, he's really emerged as, as a really good um, starting loose head for Wales there. Um, so I, I don't think Gatlin will want to give him too much game time. Uh, but if he does come onto the field, like I said, Wales will hope that by that point the game is put to bed. But it will be interesting to see how he copes. Obviously, at the minute, all the talk in Japan is about the weather. There's a, a typhoon on the way. Um, first of all, what, what, what's the weather like uh, where you're based? Yeah, well, it's not too bad down here. I mean, it's got a bit cloudy in the last few hours, but this morning when we got up to go to the Wales press conference, it was easily around 25 degrees, and it's going to get up to around 30 degrees um, here in Kumamoto. And, and for Sunday, the weather is similarly positive. It's looking like 28 degrees and sunshine. Um, at the moment, you know, those, that might change, but right now that's that's what we're looking at. So whilst there, you know, there's obviously a lot, a lot going on much further north in Japan um, with the typhoon that's about to hit Tokyo and the surrounding area, down here in Kumamoto, um, we, we really couldn't be much further away from uh, from Tokyo if we tried, really. So, um, yeah, we're well out of the way at the moment from that, um, and the game is, is likely to be played in, in fairly good conditions. What's the uh, the feeling out in Japan about uh, the typhoon that's heading this way? Because obviously back here in the UK, I think a lot of people can't get their heads around it fully, sort of just how big an impact this is going to have on the country. But um, I imagine it's, it's quite a different sort of scenario out there in Japan. Yeah, I mean, like I said, we're a little bit detached from all the drama down here, but we've been keeping a close eye on it all, obviously. Me, myself and the other journalists are following Wales around. And, you know, I mean, the first thing to think of is that this is, you know, by all, by all accounts, it is going to be one of the worst typhoons they've had in recent memory. Um, and they do cause significant damage, you know. There were, there were three deaths uh, in the typhoon that hit last month, and this is meant to be much bigger than that one. So, first and foremost, just hope for the, for the people of Tokyo and, and the city itself that it's not as bad as forecasted. Uh, but, you know, we have to be mindful of that. And, and obviously, if you want to look at the Rugby World Cup and the cause and the chaos that it might cause um, on the tournament itself, then it's not ideal. Um, you know, you, you feel for teams like Italy and potentially teams like Scotland and Japan who, who have got games that are still very much important in this tournament that, that look like they might be under threat. Obviously, Italy New Zealand is gone um, and we're waiting to hear about Japan and Scotland. And it's not a very satisfactory way for things to transpire, but, you know, we have to be mindful of the bigger picture and I think World Rugby are trying to do their best uh, in the situation that they've been given. My, my only sort of gripe with World Rugby in this is that they, the lack of four 
offside that appears to have taken place. You know, this should have been uh, looked at before the tournament began. This has been a possibility. You know, it's typhoon season here in Japan. You know, this this wasn't beyond the realms of possibility months and months ago, even years ago. So th there should have been something put in place then in the event of a typhoon cancelling a game. You know, and, and the, the regulations of the tournament have really backed them into a bit of a corner because they are very black and white. If a game cannot be played in the pool stages, then it, it will go down as a nil-nil draw. So in that regard, they're backed into a corner. Um, you know, obviously the Scottish Rugby Union uh, kicking off, the Scottish press are writing some very strong comment pieces. And, you know, you, you kind of sympathise with Scotland a little because if that was Wales, then, you know, you can only imagine what sort of pieces we might be writing and how the Welsh public might be feeling and how Warren Gatland and Martin Phillips might be feeling. So you do sympathise with someone like, with sides like Scotland at the moment, but at the end of the day, it's the weather and there's, there's not a lot you can do about that. Indeed, and I'm sure we'll... Uh plenty more on this as the weekend progresses but uh, I believe for you it's, it's no more weather reporting and you'll be back to rugby reporting this weekend um, Wales with Uruguay is your uh, port of call and uh, hopefully uh, it's a good game and you, you enjoy yourself out in a Komamoto Alright, cheers Ben I'm now joined on the podcast by uh, Daily Mirror rugby writer Alex Spink, um, who's out in Tokyo. Uh, Alex, how are you doing? I'm very well indeed, mate. Thank you. Yeah, I've got a, just got away from Tokyo. Actually, I followed England down to Miyazaki on the south coast. They're uh, they're intent on avoiding the typhoon, and so some of us have come with them, which is probably no bad thing. Yeah, I was going to say probably, probably a wise uh, wise choice. Um, back here in the UK, it's. Um, the, this whole situation has been met with sort of, uh, well, a mixed response, shall we say. Um, what's the feeling out in Japan where I imagine the concerns for safety are more apparent? Yeah, I mean, I think the, I think the reaction out here is, is pr pretty similar amongst us lot to, to to what you guys are thinking at home. I mean, it, it doesn't feel right that um, teams can be eliminated from the World Cup without playing their, their quota of matches. Um, in the case of Italy, that, that is what is, has happened. Um, they could still have qualified, albeit unlikely, but they could have you know, beaten New Zealand for the first time ever and, and got through, and they, they've been denied that chance. And It does seem kind of farcical um, that we're in a global tournament once every four years, and, and then it can be decided by, by matters away from the pitch. Um, that said, we are out here and we are up in the line of fire from this super typhoon which is which is going to make landfall tomorrow and is going to cause an awful lot of damage and um, you know I think the organisers are right they have to be mindful of that they, they um, when Japan were awarded the World Cup people knew that it came with this sort of extreme climate very volatile climate um, so this has to be factored into people's thinking it's in the participation agreements that these rules um, will uh, be applied in the event of something extreme happening. And yeah, we've got it this weekend. But, you know, that, what annoys me, what bothers me, and I think other people as well, is the fact that it just doesn't seem to be a plan B. It doesn't seem to be any real wriggle room factored into the schedule um, to, to allow for one of these things. Now, when it gets to the 
um, knockout rounds. There is the flexibility. They can play games a day or two later if need be, but they can't in the pool stages. And that, that seems wrong to me. That seems like a, a real a black mark against the organisers. Well, that's the thing, because um, we, we've sort of seen... Uh a lot of quotes from earlier in the week sort of backfire. One from Gregor Townsend sort of saying the rules are the rules, which doesn't look great now. But then there was one from World Rugby which said that there were contingency plans in place. Um, and then as the week has gone on, that sort of line of has, has sort of uh, dissipated from World Rugby. And maybe that's the fact that this is a sort of typhoon that even people in Japan wouldn't have expected the force of. But whether there is contingency plan or not, or or whether there was one and it's been sort of blown out the water by this, the problem is that we're none the wiser, and, and that's not a good look, is it? No, it's, it, it, there is a degree of confusion. You're right, and um, I think that is a problem for the credibility and the integrity of the competition. I, I do think there needs to be a, it needs to be more transparent, um, and I do think that you know they. These matters should have been should have come out into the open before a final decision was taken. I mean, I, don't, don't get me wrong. I'm not I'm not in favour of organisers who are just wishy-washy and kind of changing their minds every two minutes. But you know, this is a this is a this is a big deal. This isn't it? I mean, you know, <laughs> I don't need to tell a Welshman how important rugby is. Uh, you know, it's it's a national sport. But you know, this is a global showpiece. We, we've been preparing for it for four years, and uh, you know, if Scotland go out without being able to fire a shot. Um, against Japan in the pool decider, then you know, frankly, that makes a mockery of the whole thing, and I, and I, you know, I'm, I'm dead against that idea. Um, you know, we'll, we'll have to see what happens ultimately. The, the people running the show are, are going to be the arbiters of, of what is allowed and what's not, but it, it's not a good look. No, you're quite right. And it, we're sort of in a situation now where, one way or another, World Rugby are going to have to upset someone, aren't they? Because they seem quite intent on. Uh, if a match can't be played on the day it was meant to be played, then it's it's not going to happen. But we're left if we if that goes ahead with the Scotland Japan game and it can't be played on Sunday, then then you are as you say left with a with a with a situation where, well, Scotland farcically go out of a World Cup without being given the chance to really sort of reply. Yeah, and, and they've made the point that um, whatever's good enough for the New Zealand Italy game has to be good enough for all the other games, um, and as a result. I can't see how they can change anything now, frankly. You know, were they to turn it around in 24 hours' time and say to Italy, do you know what, we're going to give you another shot, we're going to play the game on Monday. Well, you know, they've all checked out mentally now. Um, That that isn't going to work, is it? Um, So I I don't see that happening. Um, I I think, you know, I I just think that if Scotland somehow with their resources and their influence are able to change um, the situation... Um, so that they are treated differently from Italy, I just think that's going to create a legal problem. I, I'm not sure that's going to be that's not going to be permitted. But um, no, it's, it's, it, let's face it, it's the unknown at the moment. We're about to be hit by one of the biggest storms ever to hit planet Earth. Um, it's going to throw a very different perspective on everything over the next 24, 48 hours. I suspect. Um, I think people just got to kind of stay safe for the time being. And when we come out the other end, some hard decisions have got to be made. But uh, for the time being, in a strange sort of way, it's probably more important for for folks down here that they just kind of you know look after themselves and stay out of trouble. That is the key, isn't it? I think. Um, seen one suggestion that this you know this typhoon is, is the biggest in Japan since I think potentially 1958, and I think that 
killed yeah. about 1,200 people, obviously very different infrastructure, but that, that sort of shows you the strength of this. Um, I suppose looking at the England-France game, obviously that's been cancelled as well. Um, potentially less riding on that, although I'm sure both teams would have still wanted to play the game, but now they're left with an interesting situation of their own in the in the sense that they've now effectively got well a week two weeks without playing a game going into a quarter final and you know, yeah look looking at how wales sort of dealt with a 10 day turnaround before the fiji game that's that's not always the advantage you might think it would be no you you're absolutely right um i think the the opening kind of remarks from eddie jones and others has been well, you know, this has turned out rather nicely for us. You know, the, the typhoon gods are smiling at us. This is kind of the way you put it yesterday. But you're right; it presents a completely different challenge now. The, the rhythm of the tournament has been lost for England. Um, they're going to have to try to kind of manufacture a fresh rhythm going into a quarterfinal, um, of which only a couple of their players have ever played in a World Cup quarterfinal. You know, you go back to 2011 for England's last. World Cup quarterfinal and that was a pretty chastening experience when they were beaten by France um, it's going to be a, a you know it, it is a fresh challenge it's a new one and there is absolutely no certainty that this England team are going to be up for it you know it's uh, uh, as of now Jones has got to spend this week pretty pretty wisely you know he, he can't get too focused on the game at this stage because they're a long way out but you know I think I think he'll uh, this is where his experience and this is where the investment that England put in Eddie Jones, making him the world's best-paid coach, this is where they're going to expect and hope that it pays dividends. You know, he, he's he's seen this film before um, in terms of being at three previous World Cups. He knows how to balance things around, um, and he's been pretty pretty successful with with the three teams he's taken in the past. And you know, he needs to he needs to read this situation, work out what's needed, uh, and get them. Get them to uh, Oita for the quarterfinal in in, uh, in good shape, and I, I think the fact that it's against Australia will help because that will obviously will fuel his fire. Being an Aussie who coached them before and then got sacked by them, I mean, all of that is going to probably help England because I'm sure he will be highly motivated. He's played Australia six times, England have won all six. You know that tells you quite a lot about what he thinks about the fixture. So. You know, I think there's every chance that England are going to be fine. I think England are a better team than Australia. My own opinion is that England will make the semi-finals and then they'll play New Zealand and they will probably find that very difficult to win. But I think they'll get to that game anyway. But, you know, this is all hypothetical. Let's see how it, let's see how it turns out. And, of course, we're also assuming that Wales win their game on Sunday. Which, which they should do, but you know, Indeed, were they yeah. to slip up inexplicably with their 13 changes, and that would change everything immediately. Absolutely, yeah, it would. Um, <laughs> I'll be honest, I hadn't considered that one. Um, bit, a bit of a cold sweat now, you're making me consider it. Um, <laughs> but do you think Eddie Jones will be secretly disappointed that he hasn't had a, a sort of chance to test his squad when you look that he is coming into games potentially against Australia, maybe Wales, and then New Zealand. It's it's all been sort of fairly the low gear so far for the, in the tournament for England, and you'd probably like yeah. to step it up in that in that final game against France to just sort of bring bring you nicely to the boil, or or, or, or will that not factor yeah. into his mindset too much? I think no, I think it probably will. I mean, he, he, won't, he won't admit to it, he can't admit to it, um, and he'll just have to kind of uh, 
make his improvements elsewhere. But yeah, I think there's no doubt that, as I said before, that the, the rhythm of the campaign is important. You know, players like to be playing regularly. They won't like having two, two weeks plus uh, without a game. That, that, that really doesn't kind of play to what they're doing when you come to a big tournament. You don't want to be kind of just, you know, we're down here in Miyazaki at the moment. It's it's miles from anywhere, miles from any action. It doesn't feel like we're in part of a tournament down here. Um, and, you know, but England have got to find a way to get their heads right for it. Um, you know, I, I think they will because I think Jones is very good. He, he knows what he's doing in the same way <clears throat> if Wales were in a similar situation, you'd back Warren Gatland to, to do the right thing. Um, you know, these are experienced, you know, kind of super coaches, if you like. Um, so I, I would imagine, I would imagine they'd be fine. But but if they get complacent, if they imagine it's just going to happen, then they won't be fine. Obviously, England have had to move. Is there any indication what they're going to sort of do in the in the next few days? Obviously, now there's no match. I, I, I you know, the plans have obviously had to change. But is there any indication how they how they'll do that? Will it be giving the the players a few days off to sort of relax and and or maybe you know take their minds off things or what, what's Eddie Jones likely to do hasn't really said an awful lot I mean they got down here last night um, they will be I imagine getting the kind of travel out of their legs and with a view to a decent session on Saturday probably have the Sunday off and then they'll just kind of click into the, the normal test week routine um, on Monday, you know, I, I imagine yesterday, uh, so tomorrow will be a, will be a pretty um, a pretty decent session to to get the juices flowing and just to remind everyone that it's Saturday. It's normally a match day, and um, you know, let's get a, a bit of work into our legs. I, I I would see that happening, and that would seem to make sense. Right, um, like we said at the start, this is this. It's not how we saw the World Cup going, is it? No, of course it's not. Of course it's not, but. Um, you know, that, that 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 in itself isn't always a problem. And you know, it's it's good to do things differently. I mean, we spend our lives going around on tour to places which we've been to a million times: New Zealand, you know, Australia, South Africa. There's a real excitement about being in a in a, a new frontier, Japan, and the people here. The culture's different. It's a wonderful experience, um, and I think that we, you know, we shouldn't we shouldn't get down on Japan just because of, of of what's happened because you know it's not the country's fault um, you know they're about to be visited by something which you wouldn't wish on anyone um, it's it's not their fault um, and they have been wonderful hosts so I think people need to kind of embrace it again um, and you know we're going to get some good games we're going to get we're going to have a great knockout stages there's a, there's real potential for England and Wales to go deep into this competition. Um, you know, really deep into this competition, if they, if they can keep their heads and, and stay focused on what they've got to do. So, you know, there's some really exciting times ahead. Um, clearly, there's a lot of controversy at the moment, um, but you know, a bit like a typhoon, that will pass. There will be there will be some kind of rugby casualties, uh, as we've already talked about. But you know, listen, the, the next few weeks out here are going to be uh, are going to be pretty exciting. Extracting the hosts from the tournament as a whole um, do we think that th- what's happened in the last few days and, and how World Rugby have dealt with it will that tarnish the tournament only if you're allowed to um, I, th- I think it, the tournament will always be will always be remembered um, f- for being the first one where, where a match was cancelled for 
you know, um, we're just for, for a match being cancelled. I mean, never been done before, but that doesn't need to be the kind of legacy of this tournament. You know, it's uh, listen. If Wales win the World Cup, you ain't, you ain't going to be talking about Italy. <laughs> Italy um, having a match cancelled in the pool stages, you know, that's going to be in the margins. Same with England and France. The, 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 the big prizes and the big headlines are yet to be written. Um, so, no, let's not talk about this tournament being tarnished. Let's talk about this being a, one hell of an opportunity for Wales and England in particular, and who knows, possibly Ireland yet, uh, and might even be Scotland, you never know. But, for, you know, Wales and England have got big, big chances. And I think if you're back home and you're listening to this, get excited about it and don't get too caught up on the negativities. Exactly. Um, just quickly, we'll, we'll touch on Wales. Uh, you've mentioned them there. Um, what, what have you made them so far and, and how, how do you sort of see them progressing into the knockout stages now they've secured their passage? Yeah, I mean, I've, I've thought an awful lot about uh, I've thought, sorry, not an awful lot of Wales for a long time. You know, I think Gatland is a is a is a terrific um, coach and man manager. I think his coaches are, are terrific. Um, you know, we had the the issue, the episode with with Rob Howley, a very unfortunate episode um, earlier on in the competition. Um, but Wales's performance against Australia was 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 really stellar. It's you know it's one of the first time, possibly only the second time they've beaten a, one of the Southern Hemisphere big three in World Cup history. I mean that was such a statement by this Welsh team. Um, and I I honestly believe that there, there should be nobody in this World Cup that Wales fear um, having kind of got that monkey off their back. You know. I, I know they haven't got a great history against New Zealand and there's no question that South Africa are good and will be tough to beat. But uh, I don't think Wales would, would fear playing England. Um, I don't think England would particularly want to play Wales because of the, the, the way the fixture has gone you know, in recent times. I think Wales have got a real big chance. That's not to say that on, on any given day in the knockout rounds they won't get beaten because I, I genuinely think when it gets to the late stages it's about who brings what on the day. You know, we're talking about top six in the world can all beat each other on, on any given day now. That's how equal it is. But they've got a chance. They've got a really good chance. And as I, as I said, risk of repeating myself uh, along with England, it, they've just got to focus and stay in the moment, not not allow themselves to to start dreaming about what ifs and you know, what might be possible. Um, at the moment, they've got a game to play at the weekend. Get that game won and then move on to the next one. And, you know, if they keep that philosophy, then let's just see where it takes them. Indeed. Um, I think that's a good place to leave the podcast. It's nice to uh, finish talking about rugby um, after everything else that's, uh, that's been going on. Um, Alex, thanks for joining us on the podcast and uh, stay safe out in Japan. Great pleasure. Thanks, mate. Cheers.